Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. I am so glad that we're going to dive back into people of the Old Testament. It's that time of the week. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are very excited today to talk to Carolyn Custis James. We're going to talk about Ruth today, Peter. We're, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, this is the first time that I think we're going to dive into a female character from the Old Testament. We've we've gone through what David and and uh, Joshua and Moses and Jeremiah, Jeremiah and Phineas, right? Do yeah, I have that right? I have the whole list. There's definitely others in there. That I'm you sure there forgotten. are. I'm sure that I'm missing some. Joseph. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. Yeah. So, so when you think of the book of Ruth, now picture Psalms and Proverbs, Peter. Is the book of Ruth before Psalms and Proverbs or after Psalms and Proverbs? <laughs> oh, boy. That one is before Psalms and oh, Proverbs. Oh, good one. I think I have that one right, right? <laughs> good one, yeah. Yeah, you this actually, correct. it's one of my favorite stories, really, because um, I've, I've enjoyed the story anyway. But uh, on a personal note, my daughter was part of a dance company who had a, a wonderful choreographer who also was theologically astute. And they put together an incredible performance of the book of Ruth through dance that was just theologically rich and telling the story of this uh, this woman who had descended from a Moabite tribe that had been left out, obviously, of the kingdom community and her journey back towards it. It's really a beautiful story. I just love it. Mm-hmm. I love the book of Ruth, and I was talking to a friend of mine named Walker, and I was he was telling me he had memorized the book of Ruth. Memorized it? He has, he's memorized the whole book. Wow. Mm-hmm. Took him about eight months. Yeah. He said, I do a lot of traveling. I'm in planes a lot. I take my dogs for long walks. I put them all on three by five cards and have memorized the whole book. Did he say why this book in particular? I don't know what particularly he was drawn to the book of Ruth, but he said what I've gotten out of it from memorizing it has been spectacular. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. And that kind of fired me up to to go start memorizing it. And I got through the first, you ready for this? Two verses. Two, two, Bill. (laughs) That's exceptional. That's when I said this is too much. You you exceeded expectations. Yeah, Yeah, so I thought I'll let him memorize it. (laughs) I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Ruth... um, is a fantastic book. We're going to discuss it today with Carolyn Custis James. She's an adjunct faculty member at Missio Seminary, and she is in the Philadelphia area and also consulting editor for Zondervan's exegetical commentary series on the New Testament. In 2013, Christianity Today named her one of the 50 evangelical women to watch. She's with us today. Carolyn, welcome. Thank you. Well, it's good to be with you I again. I, I appreciate you saying that. You sounded like you meant it. I like that. <laughs> I did miss I, I know. You're such a kind, sincere person. Now, your book, uh, The Gospel of Ruth, Loving God Enough to Break the Rules, is a fantastic book. And I, I know that we are going to talk about that book, but also uh, the book of Ruth. So we're excited to get into your knowledge and wisdom. Thank you. Well, this is uh, a book I grew up on. And as an adult, um have been digging deeper into it, and it has been life-changing for me in a profound way. So um, you want me just to dive in? Well, yeah. I mean, I I'm I would love for you to dive in, and then Peter and I can ask some questions along the way, but I, I'd love to hear um, what your 
how you would navigate us through an, an hour on the Book of Ruth. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, as I said, I grew up on the, on the Book of Ruth um, as this beautiful love story. And it was, it was always hard for me to accept the happily ever after. If you read the first five verses of the Book of Ruth, Naomi is wiped out. And, you know, to have events turn in a different direction and sort of give her a happily ever after, Ruth a happily ever after when they've been, they've experienced so much loss and so much grief. Um, It didn't, it never made sense to me. I mean, you have Sandy Hook parents and gold star, um, gold star parents and it doesn't matter how many good things happen to them now it's never going to take that grief away and um but what changed was um i was listening to an old testament professor talk about the book of ruth and some of the newer tools that old testament scholars are employing and I, as he talked, I, you know, I, I just kind of rolled my eyes, like I know this book backwards and forwards, and what's, what's new here, and it was a moment that changed my life forever, and, um, you know, we always hear the Book of Ruth taught as a Cinderella story. Um, there was a pastor a few years ago who used the Book of Ruth as a dating manual for single. <laughs> so here's the thing. The, the the problem that we have as as Americans and Westerners is that when we read the Bible, we are not reading an American book. That we are foreigners to the world of the Bible. And if we don't leave our shores, we're going to misinterpret or downsize the potency of the message that we're reading. And it happens again and again and again. You know, you read the first five verses. Well, if if you don't understand the world of the Bible, it's, you know, it's easy to step over Naomi and move on. But in the ancient world and in patriarchal cultures today, a woman's value is determined by her relationships with men. You know, who is her, who is her father or who is her husband? But the, the gold standard is to count her sons. And you read in the Bible about barren women who are, who are desperate and begging God, but they're not begging God for daughters. They're begging God for sons. Because in patriarchy, sons are prized and daughters don't count. I mean, look at Jacob's family where he has 12 sons. And we know he had one daughter, but it does say in another part of Genesis that he had daughters. And they're not named. And when he does the blessing of his sons, you know, Dinah doesn't get a blessing. And so the two women in the book of Ruth 
Naomi starts out with two sons. So she can hold her head up high because sons are what perpetuates the family for another generation. And when there's a famine and they have to move to stay alive, and it's a severe famine that lasts for years, and they move to Moab, which is today's Jordan, to survive. And they become famine refugees. And when they're in when they're in Moab, the first thing that we read is that her husband died. The very thing they're running away from is death and it and it meets them. And then her two sons marry pagan girls. And you know, marriages arranged are arranged and they are arranged by the men in the family to increase the family's stature in the community. So these are like leftover girls, extra daughters being married off to famine refugees. You know, I mean it's just a dire situation. And and then they go through ten years of double infertility. And at the end of the ten years, both of Naomi's sons die. So it's 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 a wash. And Naomi is at ground zero of her own life. And if if you know, I've come to the point when I read the Bible that if we don't make patriarchy the backdrop of the story, we won't understand it. And um I've I've um written in another book that that the Bible the message of the Bible is the gospel. And the message of the Bible is about God's heart for the world. And um the culture of the Bible is the backdrop. It's not the message, but it's the backdrop that just causes these narratives to explode with power. So you have these two women, and if you're going to value them, they are zeros. They have no sons. Naomi is past childbearing years, and Ruth is barren. So, you know, no man in his right mind would would want to marry a barren woman. And so it's just an amazing story because something grabs Ruth's heart. And and Naomi tries to emancipate her, send her back to her family because Naomi's going to go back to Bethlehem to die. I mean, she has no future. And Ruth insists on going with her. And she embraces Naomi and she embraces Naomi's God and Naomi's people. Naomi's angry God, you know, it's just a marvel that this happens. And the thing that um, we have to remember when we read the Bible, God is the hero of the story. Always, always he's the hero. It's not an American book. If we put the ancient culture as the backdrop of the story, we're going to understand it in deeper ways. 
and that the book of Ruth is a is a unified literary whole. It's a work of art. So that Naomi's questions about God go through the whole book. And Ruth's vow drives her actions. And what shocked me was when this professor said that Ruth was initiating the action in the story and Boaz was responding to her initiatives. And as a woman, as a Christian woman who grew up in the church, that was not the message I was hearing. I was hearing that initiative was something that a man could take, but not a woman. That women were to respond to the initiatives of men. And when he portrayed and made the case that Ruth was leading the action in the story, I had to rethink my whole life. And it made me realize and she's risking her life in things that she does, the initiatives that she makes with Boaz. You know, we are told he's a he's a powerful man of stature, and he just proves his power in the story in just astonishing ways. But it's a it's a beautiful story of a man who lives before the face of God and he he doesn't shed his male power and privilege. He uses it to make sure that Ruth's initiatives on Naomi's behalf succeed. Sure. So it's, I mean, it's just, and all through the book, we're asking the question that Naomi is asking because she feels like she's, she's lost God's love, hmm. that God turned against her, you know, and we need that. We need her story. Mm-hmm. We we need her questions. Carolyn, let me let me take a short break. Um, you're listening to uh, the afternoon series on Old Testament uh, people, and we're talking about Ruth today with Carolyn Custis James. And we'll take a short break and be right back with lots more. Carolyn Custis James, we're talking about Ruth today in our Old Testament series. And during the break, uh, Carolyn, Peter, and I were talking about how God tends to upend the power structures of the world and uses mm. some awfully unlikely people to do it. Well, the book of Ruth is amazing on that count because the three main characters in the book of Ruth, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, are are all involved ultimately in making sacrifices for each other. And the sacrifices ultimately produce a son that becomes Naomi's son, replaces her dead sons, so that she has their family, this son will take take um, leadership in the family. He'll perpetuate the family for another generation. 
Um, but it leads to King David and ultimately to Jesus. And I, I love that about the book of Ruth because what they're dealing with are just local family problems and making sacrifices for Naomi's sake, but she makes sacrifices too. And their actions, these two zero women (laughs) and this very powerful man, their actions together are God is using to advance his purposes for the world. And I love that about the story because I think, you know, in evangelical circles, there are all these big name people, you know, but God is subversive. <laughs> and and the, the places in the world where he's doing the most important things might really surprise us at how undercover <laughs> it is, you know, because the two women were they were nothing in the culture, but they were, God had his hand on them. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, when I meet with women's groups and speak in different places, I, it's just wonderful to say, you know, you don't know what God is doing through you. You don't, you don't know where an act of kindness or a word of encouragement is rippling out in multiple directions and God is doing something you'll never know about. You know, it's, it's, it's very powerful. It's very empowering, you know, to, to say to people, everywhere you are is a kingdom front line and God is in your story. And, you know, you, you'll never know how he, how he, works through you or what he accomplishes. I'm thinking about the passage in, in Corinthians where it talks about that. Uh, <clears throat> remember who you were when you were called. There's not many wise or noble or mighty according to the things of this flesh, but God loves to take the foolish things of this world and, and to upend the supposed wisdom. And and that's not necessarily about trying to reestablish a new social order of power in a secular country where we, we trade men for women or black for white or anything along those lines. It's just within God's kingdom it's usually the people that don't have a lot of stuff that they're leaning into that God sees as his redemptive agents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's, it's multi-layered in the book of Ruth because for example, you know, Naomi's questions about God are the centerpiece of the story. You know, has God turned against her? She's lost everything. And, you know, she's, she's, going home to run out the clock. There's nothing left for her. And the family has been extinguished because there are no men to to carry on the next generation or to take ownership and leadership of the property that is theirs. And there's no prophet and there's no priest and there's no voice from heaven and there's no vision but God answers Naomi through Ruth and with the help of Boaz. You know, when she when she's on the road between Moab and 
returning to Bethlehem and trying to shed her daughters-in-law because there's only suffering ahead for them as undocumented immigrants. That's what they would be. And Naomi is being held in a human embrace and hearing words of covenant love spoken to her by her daughter-in-law. Stop asking me to leave you. I will never leave you. And when Ruth goes out to glean in the fields, which is something that Mosaic law allows for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and and the foreigner, the alien, to pick up the scraps after a man's harvesters have cleared the field. Well, Ruth doesn't want to pick up scraps. She lives on the hungry side of the law, and the law reads differently from that perspective. She wants to feed her mother-in-law. You know, the the letter of the law says, let them glean, let them, let them collect scraps. But the spirit of the law says, feed them. And with Boaz's help, she takes home 29 pounds of winnowed barley to Naomi. And that's the moment Naomi realizes that God has not abandoned. And the word that's a key word in the book of Ruth is the word hesed, that God has not abandoned his hesed for her, his covenant love, his, um, it's a brand of love. We don't even have an English word for it. It's, it's stubborn. It's voluntary. It's sacrificial. Um, it's selfless. And that's the love that Ruth shows her. And that's when Naomi says that God has not forgotten his tested for the living and the dead. And she is moved to make a sacrifice. So, it, I mean, it's just, there's a lot there. I yeah. could talk for three hours about it. But, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's so interesting, um, you know, that, that that's what is portrayed in the book of Ruth. It's the love of God mm-hmm. for us. It's the cross. It's Jesus. That's why I called that book the Gospel of Ruth, because at the threshing floor, all three of them are making huge sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And it's the gospel, yeah. you know. It's and it's how we're called to live. All right, Carolyn, we're going to take a little break because we're up against a hard break here, but we will be right back. Carolyn Custis James is our guest as we're talking about Ruth in Old Testament. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are continuing our series on people of the Old Testament, and we'll be right back in just a minute. So 
glad to be back with Carolyn Custis James. We're talking about Ruth today in our Old Testament study. And during the break, uh, Peter Kafter and I had, we talked a mile, uh, 100 miles an hour. I think we did. Yeah. There was a lot to cover there in that cover. break. There really was. You had some thoughts that uh, sounded interesting. and Bill, potentially. Yeah. Well, potentially. Yeah, potentially. I don't know. Often I, nice to engage some of your thoughts with Carolyn and her uh, her history of studying Ruth. Yeah, Carolyn, I know when I was referencing earlier about uh, some of the theology that this uh, choreographer dance leader was was teasing out. Um, she was mm-hmm. talking about the idea that uh, some of the theology, uh, not just the sociology of Ruth that you've been talking about, but some of the theology of it is that the Israelites in that context were commanded to never go into Moab because it was seen as sort of the land of sin. It was it was a people that had descended from the incestuous daughters of Lot. They weren't to, to even go anywhere near them. But um, But Naomi's husband, because of the famine in the land, decided that he couldn't trust God to care for him in the land of Israel, in the promised land. So he decided to go into the land of sin and try to make his way forward from there. And immediately his future died off. His son's names were, I guess in the Hebrew, they mean sickness and death. There was really no future in that land. And so some of the theology of the story was that God chose this this discarded Moabite woman to, um, in her hesed for, for Naomi to go back into the promised land and then lead the way forward. So it was, uh, it was, I, I don't know if she had there. I don't know if I have that right, but it was just a really fascinating look at the theology of the book of Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it changes the book of Ruth to put God at the center and, you know, to say that what scholars are saying is that the book of Ruth is the story of a female Job. And, we need we need those kinds of stories because we ask that question ourselves in our circumstances when things go you know in ways that we that we never thought would happen and where the suffering is so intense and you know that a lot of people talk about that they should never have gone there and um, but and that they deserve what happened, which is a terrible thing to say. But the narrator of the story doesn't doesn't address that. Doesn't raise a single word of disapproval. And and it and so it's not about it's not about that. And um, you know, of course, then Ruth becomes. Um, a mother in the royal line of of Christ, so it's yeah, but but um, it's just so unlikely that she would that she would play such a such a major role. Carolyn, when I th- think of Naomi and she wants to be referred to now as bitter Mara, mm. uh, was she? just completely crushed by, uh, did she see that as God's punishment to her? Did she see it as a complete loss of favor? What was going through her head that was creating this label of making, of wanting to call herself Mara, which means bitter? Well, I mean, she, her, her life's work has been destroyed. There's nothing left of her. And, you know, she's, this is what we walk into, and it's in the Job story, too, and there are lots of parallels between the book of Job and the book of Ruth. 
but you know as a as an israelite there's there's no evidence that she sees herself outside of the being a faithful israelite i mean she's a a member of the people of god you know that you would and and we're all that way we ex, we expect god to answer our prayers and you know to bless us we seek his blessing and his goodness and you know life doesn't work out that way for any of us you know we all have losses and we all have griefs and we all have things that don't make any sense and we all ask those kinds of questions isn't it great that the bible has those kinds of questions in it you know because it's for the real world that's why it's not a cinderella story it's a it's a gritty story of danger and of um, of loss and of despair, and you know, and there's not going to be a recovery for Naomi. What ends up in her story is so beyond the pale <laughs> of you know of of good that her her all the women in the village say that. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better than seven sons, <laughs> and it's true because she's she's provided for her, she's pr- protected her, and so she doesn't have to go out and glean herself, and she's produced a son, an heir, to be the one to inherit Elimelech's and Naomi's land. The text says it's Naomi's land. Um, you know, it's just, it's an, it's an amazing reversal of her circumstances and it's because of her daughter-in-law. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, when I look at that, I think, okay, for all of us as, as God's children, as followers of Jesus, we're called to pay attention to what's happening around us, to take responsibility for what we see and to try to do things to make a difference for people. Um, you know, it's not a free ride for us. It's, I mean, I feel, I, for me, looking at, her, at Ruth, it made me say to myself, <laughs> When I stand before Jesus, I'd rather be explaining why I did too much than why I did too little. And women are called to do too little. You know, the church calls us to hold back. And it happens again and again and again. And, you know, Scripture doesn't do that. You know, God created us to be his image bearers, to be reflections and representatives of him in the world. That comes with responsibility. Kellen, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the phrase kinsman redeemer. I'm not sure I know entirely what that means from the book. The kinsman redeemer is about the land, and we've turned him into something else. Um, The Ruth is mixing two laws. She's mixing the Leverett law and the Kinsman Redeemer law. And um, in both cases, Boaz is beyond the letter of the law. He's not the nearest relative, which is the Kinsman Redeemer, and he's not a blood brother of Elimelech. And so, you know, he's 
He hasn't done anything wrong. But the kinsman redeemer has responsibility to purchase a relative's land when he falls on hard times. So there's a nearer relative that has the right to do that. But, you know, they're coming out of a out of years of famine. So they're in famine co- recovery. And, um, you know, so they're not paying any attention to Elimelech's land. But I think just because of the, of the way the law works, the nearest relative would just inherit that land. He wouldn't have to pay for it. You know, because there's no there's no male heir in Naomi's family, and but he knows that if he marries, when they throw in this other piece, which is the Leverett Law, and the Leverett Law says when a man dies, his blood if he dies without a male heir, his blood brother is supposed to marry the widow, and the son produced by that union takes the dead man's place on the family tree. So it's all of these, all of these laws are enormous calls to sacrifice because the land, the land reverts to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. So it's not the kinsman redeemers about land the Leverett Law is about a male heir, and Ruth is mixing these laws, and and Boaz sees what she's doing, and it's a shot in the dark for her because she's has she has ten years of infertility on her record. <laughs> so Baron Ruth is volunteering to bear a son who will take her husband's place and will inherit Elimelech's land so that whatever money Boaz has to pay to invest in purchasing this land by taking the responsibility of the Kinsman Redeemer is an investment loss. And that's what the nearer relative knows. He said, it'll ruin me. Because he's, you know, he's he's not willing to run the risk that she, can, you know, might bear a, a son. And Boaz runs that risk, and he loses. One of the pieces I love about it is that when Samuel goes to anoint David, he goes to the land of Naomi and Obed. <laughs> you know that's. That's where David grew up on that land because his family wouldn't, Obed's family would inherit that. But the other thing I love about it is that Naomi becomes the theologian of Hesed and she passes that message on to her son, Obed, who passes it on to Jesse, who passes it on to David. Who passes it on to us in the 23rd Psalm? He says, Surely goodness and Hesed will follow me all the days of my life. Yeah, that's so good. I love seeing God's uh, hand at work behind the scenes. I think I see that in the book of Ruth, which is very comforting for all of us to think that if we don't 
completely feel what God is doing in our lives, we can trust that he's working behind the scenes of our lives, which is always a comfort. In bigger ways than we know. In In bigger bigger ways than we know. We'll take a little break. We're talking to Carolyn Custis James, and we're focusing today on our Old Testament series on Ruth. We'll be right back. about Ruth today with Carolyn Custis James. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are continuing our series on people of the Old Testament and sure enjoying our time with Carolyn. And I'm looking, Carolyn, as we get towards the end of the book of Ruth in chapter four, it, uh, you know, the last, or is it verse 22, uh, which basically says, Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. It kind of sounds like uh, God shows us what he's been doing all along. And, and that was bringing into the world a king who would be a man after his own heart. Yes. I mean, it's a, the the book of Ruth is the ancestry of King David. Mm-hmm. Shows, you know, what what is history, what is history produced. You know, it just, it's, I, you know, I can't, I can't get enough of this book. And um, the, to have that kind of legacy is pretty amazing, you know, for the for the royal line because it, it's the book of Ruth is just drenched in the gospel and the bigness of it, you know. Like you were saying, you know, what are we doing with the Moabites, right. <laughs> you know, in the middle of this? But you know, the gospel is really big, way bigger than than we imagine and more transforming, more transformative than we realize. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just is, yeah. I mean, I could, like I said, I could write another book. <laughs> yeah. Carolyn, Carolyn, with the holidays coming up, I know that there's plenty of daughters-in-law that don't necessarily get along great with their mothers-in-law. Uh, what can we learn about uh, Ruth's loyalty to Naomi? This is kind of a head scratcher. Yeah, because Naomi wasn't a fun person to be around. <laughs> <laughs> that way. You know, so I don't know, you know, because I, I remember te- talking about the book of Ruth with a group of women, and I said, so how many of you would go with your mother-in-law? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny what came out of that conversation. Yeah. You know, because some of them said, absolutely, I would go with my mother-in-law. And and then there were others who said, no way. <laughs> so it's, yeah, and under those circumstances, I mean, Naomi had nothing to offer her. Nothing. But anyway, Ruth was a, she was a, a live wire. But I love her because, you know, for me, you know, women, women who find uh, a path forward, a calling, no matter what it is, um, 
look to Priscilla or Deborah or Junia, you know, or Esther. And, you know, Ruth is somebody who had every strike against her and no reason to be viewed as a leader, but she is a leader. And, and Boaz, who's a man who grew up on Mosaic law, he's a native son of Israel, and he listens to her. I mean, think of the disparity between them. And he learns from her. You know, she, their conversations, what she says to him, lead him in every case from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. And he discovers through her that the, there are infinite ways of obeying God's law. I mean, you can come up with something that's a checklist. You know, did you read your Bible? Did you go to church? You know, or you can say, what is what is God's law call me to be and do in his world? And And Boaz takes the ball and runs with it every time. I mean, he's a, he's, something to deal with in the city in the city council you know the things he gets away with are just mind-boggling and nobody questions you know that that the nearer kinsman redeemer is obligated to buy the land of Elimelech when Elimelech is dead and his sons are dead and you know that he's required to marry Ruth who says he has to marry Ruth? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, and nobody objects. I mean, he is a, he is a powerhouse, and he uses his male power and privilege in ways that empower others and bless. It's a, it's a, he's a marvel. Is there anything we learned from the other daughter-in-law, Orpa, who was who did not go back with Naomi? Well, in in the literature that you have here, the decisions that Ruth and Boaz are making, hers on the road to to Bethlehem, and his, you know, when she, con, you know, confronts him with these initiatives, um, you know, they're they're both they're both m- making radical decisions that are that are driven by their heart for God. And um, so the other characters, Orpah and the nearer kinsman redeemer are foils in the story because Orpah in returning to Moab is doing the only sensible thing (laughs) for her to do. And Naomi is, you know, ordering them to go back um, and, Ruth defies her orders. I mean, it's, she's she's a handful, but so it's the contrast between doing the sensible thing, re- returning home to her family and her father, and the safety and the possibility of another marriage being negotiated, um, and the nearer kinsman redeemer who's doing the sensible thing and saying, if if I if I do this, it'll ruin my estate. My sons will inherit less. So it's, you know, they, they're essential to the story because they, they give us a contrast 
with what Ruth and Boaz are doing and how how it goes against the grain of human nature and how gospel it is. I, you know, it's, yeah. So they're really important figures in this, in the story that create, I mean, the, the nearer kinsman redeemer says, this will, this will ruin me. And, you know, there's a good chance it would have, you know, because that means it's going to cost Boaz to do this. He's going to, he's going to purchase Naomi's land and Obed's going to inherit it. So he's going to take from his own estate what his own, you know, he's an older man. He's a man of incredibly high esteem in the community. He would not have been given that kind of reverence if he hadn't gotten about the business of producing sons for his own family. And, um, you know, we're looking at a polygamous culture. He could he could have other wives, or he could be a widowed man. We don't know, and it doesn't really matter, and it wouldn't have mattered to the first hearers of that story because, like I said, this is a patriarchal culture. You know, think of all the wives David ended up with. Carolyn Custis James is our guest. We're talking about uh, Ruth, and she's also written a book called The Gospel of Ruth, Loving God Enough to Break the Rules. Carolyn, I do not expect you to have an answer to this question, but I wonder if you know the backstory behind this verse, a couple of verses out of chapter 1, where Naomi is obviously disappointed, depressed, sad, and she says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm, am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? I always thought that is the oddest statement that makes no sense. So what, Naomi's going to have more kids and then these daughters are going to babysit these kids and then one day marry them? (laughs) No, but what she's talking about is the Leverett Law. And the Leverett Law says what I what I mentioned before: if she had other sons, those sons would be obligated to marry the, the, her daughters-in-law. Okay. Okay. And father and father a son through her, but if if Naomi had, you know, could marry and produce a son, that son would take the place. Gotcha. Of, okay. That's that yeah, is that's a great answer to my, my she question. She did know the background of that she question. Did. She clearly did. I'm going to send her the home version of the afternoon with Bill Arnold show. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, you can do it yeah. at home. I mean, it's and that's where Ruth hears about the Leverett Law because when she goes to Boaz, she's she's merging these two laws, and he's not a he's not a blood brother, you know, he's not her Malin's brother. He. His other brother is dead. But the other piece of that Leverett law is that it involves inheritance. So, you know, if 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 another son is produced and you, you know, if you have, if a, if a woman had, if, a, if she had three sons and one of them died, the, the inheritance, of course, would increase for the other sons. And if they produce a son to 
replace their dead brother, their inheritance mm. is going to go down. So it's so, a cause of sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> So interesting. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, it's been always fun to talk to you about Ruth. Thank you so much for taking time today and and uh, talking to Peter and I about uh, Ruth. And again, Carolyn Custis James, her book is called The Gospel of Ruth, Loving God Enough to Break the Rules. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, Peter. Yeah, it was a delight to hear just so much about what life was like in that early Mediterranean world like that. Yeah. And that wraps up our show as well. I'm going to leave you with a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 1.4 says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And also in Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. I hope you're thankful this holiday. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.